Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and joining me today is my co-host, Sonny Primolo. On today's show, it's part one of our look back at some of the RC360 highlights from 2018. We'll be talking about mental health in the workplace, trends related to giving in Canada, and we'll even take you on a couple of quick road trips to museums in Manitoba. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on our Year in Review episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to RC360. Robert Zirk here with you today. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on vacation this week, but I am joined by RC360 senior producer Sonny Primolo. Sonny... Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just had an awesome holiday. How about you? Fantastic. Yeah, I had a wonderful holiday as well. Always great to to see some family and friends around uh, around Christmas time. But yeah, it's been a it's been a really wonderful holiday and uh you know, we've been doing now four seasons of, of River City 360, wow. which is really incredible. Um and it's it's already that time of year. It it feels like it's the year has gone by so fast but we're now doing our our annual year in review episode so with the fourth season wrapping up it's uh, it's time to look back at some of the stories that we brought you this year um as you mentioned sunny at the top of the show um we're going to be learning about uh, mental health in the workplace we're going to speak with bruce mcdonald of imagine canada talking about some of the findings from their uh, their 30 years of giving in canada report uh we've got a show jam-packed full of great interviews and stories so uh, we hope you'll stay tuned for that but to start things off here's andy williams with it's the most wonderful time of the year right here on rc360 it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the half happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the half happiest season of all. Parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing, and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. 
It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Bell Let's Talk Day happened January 31st, and it generated a ton of mental health awareness throughout our community. Though awareness is a great first step, of course, there are some ways that we can actually learn how to deal with mental health issues when they arise. So for that, we're now joined by River City 360's Sunny Primolo, who welcomes Stacey Kruger, community educator from the Canadian Mental Health Association, to talk with us about mental health in the workplace. Sunny? According to the Government of Canada, one in three Canadians will experience mental health problems in their lifetime. Unfortunately, many brush it off, thinking that person is just being dramatic or lacks confidence. But what they really should know is that mental illness is a real problem, a problem that can lead to even more issues down the road. With us today is Stacy Kruger, community educator from the Canadian Mental Health Association, to talk about the different ways to cope with mental illness in the workplace. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you for inviting me here to talk about workplace mental health. Absolutely. The CMHA offers educational services that employers can utilize to improve the overall well-being of their workplace, whether it be educational seminars, training, or consultation services. Can you tell us what happens during each of these services? A lot of our work is going into workplaces who have invited us in to talk about what mental health might look like in the workplace. How can we start a conversation with someone if we see them struggling? As well, depending on the needs of the employer, we can look at tips to maintain your mental health and mental well-being, as well as, you know, next steps. What can we do in the workplace to move forward uh, to maintain an overall well-being? Stacy actually came in to uh, provide us with an educational seminar recently. And though it was all interesting, one thing you brought up made me really think. Uh, You said working during lunch to improve your efficiency was actually doing the opposite and that mental illnesses cost Canadian employers billions of dollars. How so? Well, one, when we step away from our desks and just clear our heads for a moment and relax, uh, when we get back to do our tasks, we're more productive than working through and not completing as much as we should during the day. The cost currently to employers or to Canadian employers is about $51 billion per year. Um, $20 billion of that is to direct workplace loss. Uh, Direct workplace loss or loss of productivity could be presenteeism. So when we're physically coming to work, but we're mentally not there. So we're less productive during the day or evening, depending on our shifts as well as loss of productivity due to um, long-term and short-term disability claims. So about one in three Canadians will be on leave for a mental health problem. So I would like to ask you about mental health days. Uh, Many people aren't aware of their existence, don't believe in them, or are scared to ask since uh, many employers make no mention of them. Why do you think this is? I think uh, although we've gone a long ways about talking about mental health here in Canada, Uh, There's still some stigma around mental health and it might be perceived that people may take advantage of a mental health day. Uh, I believe in mental health days. I think, well, one, if you're physically going to work and you're mentally not productive, that's going to continue, which may lead to more difficulties in the workplace. 
Uh, I feel that if you need that day to be able to take care of yourself, you're going to be much more productive moving forward. And how would you ask an employer? Because I feel like a part of the struggle would be just asking. I think one, uh, if we, we work in a psychologically health safe workplace, you know, there would be that psychological protection and we would be able to ask that question um, mm -hmm. directly saying, you know what, I'm not myself. I need a mental health day. At the same time, if the workplace hasn't stated that there are mental health days, I would still suggest that people take that day if it's needed um, and by just phoning and saying, I'm not well today. And Absolutely. So. Uh, what are some common misconceptions of mental health that you've heard? Uh, if we're speaking to the workplace, I often, uh, when I'm having a conversation with someone and ask, you know, if I share a sign, you know, someone's coming to work late, they're not um, completing their tasks. We often hear that the person is lazy or, you know, they don't want to, they just want to pile their job on someone else. I noted that there's still a lot of stigma and people don't often want to talk about mental health because, you know, we hear those terms like people with mental illness are really strange or really crazy. That's not a word I usually use. Uh, we often hear, speaking to the workplace, if someone's on leave, you know, they're just doing it to be out of work. Uh, someone once shared with me that the stigma around mental health is so large, why would I want to fake an illness that has a lot of stigma? And that really stayed with me because folks are at that point where they do need that time or that leave. For those wanting to learn more on how to improve their organization's overall well-being, how can they reach out to the CMHA for their services? An organization or an employer interested in bringing workplace mental health uh, sessions into their workplace can visit our website at mbwpg.cmha.ca. And... They will note um, one of the tabs will say workplace mental health and they can see the variety of sessions that we currently have. Thanks, Sunny. Up next, we have our conversation with Bruce McDonald of Imagine Canada as we discuss some of the findings of Imagine Canada's report that they released earlier this year with the Rideau Hall Foundation called 30 Years of Giving in Canada. And as that implies it's three decades looking back at giving trends in Canada over the course of three decades and how things have changed. So lots of interesting findings and we'll hear that after our next song which is Ella Fitzgerald with What Are You Doing New Year's Eve right here on River City 360. When the bells all ring and the horns all blow and the couples we know are fondly kissing Will I be with you, or will I be among the missing? Maybe it's much too early in the game. Oh, but I thought I'd ask you just the same. What are you doing? Exactly twelve 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Bruce McDonald. He is the president and CEO of Imagine Canada, and uh, he's here in Winnipeg to present the findings of a recent report that uh, Imagine Canada released called 30 Years of Giving. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity. First of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Imagine Canada is and, and how exactly does it work with Canadian charities to help make the charitable sector stronger? Sure. Well, probably the easiest way to think about Imagine Canada is we're sort of the industry association for charities and nonprofits in this country. And we focus on research and data, things like this report, public policy. We have national standards of service so that Canadians can trust charities. And and there's a number of organizations here in Manitoba that are accredited. Um, And I think it's important to also mention that in the context of this report, that we have partnered with the Rideau Hall Foundation. So established by our most recent Governor General, David Johnston, it was the Rideau Hall Foundation that came up with the idea for this report. And in fact, commissioned Imagine Canada to be the research engine behind it. So they've shown great vision and foresight in creating this report. On April 10th, the report was released, um, and it kind of looks at giving between 1985 to 2014, so a 30-year span. Can you speak to some of the key findings of the report and and some of the trends that you've seen in the past three decades? Absolutely. I I mean, I think the standout finding, the overall messaging related to the data that we found was that Canadians continue to be extremely generous in their support for charitable organizations in this country. However, there's some warning signs in there. So the number of Canadians who have given over that period of time or continue to give has dropped by a third. But that's been kind of masked by the fact that the average donation size has doubled. So while 
the total number of dollars are coming in, fewer Canadians are giving. So as we think about the future of the sector, I think that's something that both citizens who want to rely on services need to consider and organizational leaders who are trying to motivate and engage Canadians to donate, they need to be very mindful and aware of this. And I'm wondering if you can speak to, um, that might tie in with this, which is how giving differs among different demographics of Canadians when you compare, uh, you know, gender, age, income, new Canadians. What are some of the, what are some of the trends that you've seen uh, when comparing different demographics? Absolutely. So I, uh, I mean, I could be here all day, but I'll only give you a few, a few <laughs> top findings here. I mean, again, I think what was really interesting is the concentration of giving amongst older adults. So if you think about in 1985, people over 50 were responsible for 54% of receipted donations. So just over half. Fast forward to 2014, and people over 50 are now responsible for 74% of donations in this country. Almost three quarters of all donations are coming from older adults. And that concentration rises even more when you look at people over 70. That's a really significant gain. Uh, Absolutely. Um, But as you think about where future dollars are coming from, what does it mean for organizations in attracting younger donors? I think another finding that might surprise a lot of people is the generosity of new Canadians. It was interesting in the findings that those who are naturalized citizens are in fact more generous on average than native-born Canadians. So when people wonder about are those who are arriving on our shores and coming and um, working and living in communities, are they also connected and supporting communities? The answer is absolutely. And in fact, are doing more than those who've lived here for many years. And for Canadians, would you say that uh, the results of the report, is this something that we should feel good about? Or are there things that we as Canadians should, should kind of be a little bit concerned about regarding our charitable sector? Absolutely. The answer is both. And I think we should feel very good that we live in a nation where citizens care enough about each other to make contributions that support things that might not directly affect them. Sometimes it might or a family member, but sometimes we're just generous. I think that's wonderful news. I think what we as Canadians need to be thinking about, though, is that the way these services that have been funded over the last number of generations is changing. And if we want those services readily available when we want our, our, our kid to participate in a music program or, or someone in our family has got early signs of mental health issues and we want to be able to readily go and access those services, we as Canadians need to think about how are we participating in ensuring that they're going to be around in the long term. Just keeping that sustainability in mind yeah. for the things the, the, that are The big word I, I often use in this is around intentionality. How are we intentionally thinking about how we contribute to community? Yes, we might give that couple of toonies at the cash register. We might donate when a friend reaches out to us and says, I'm participating in whatever event. How are we sitting down and thinking about what do we as Canadian citizens contribute to our community, plan for it, budget for it, and make that contribution? Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Well, just that I think that this is a a bit of a landmark report, and we've been very honored to participate, and thank you very much for the time to be able to talk about it. Thank you very much, Bruce McDonald, the president and CEO of Imagine Canada, for joining me today. 
Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, we'll revisit On the Docks, a design competition to reimagine the Alexander Docks earlier this year. But first, here's Dean Martin with Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow's glistening. A beautiful sight, oh, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is a bluebird here to stay. Is a new bird, he's singing a song as we go along. Walking in a winter wonderland. Well, in the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Possum Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on, we'll conspire As we dream by the fire To face unafraid of the plans that we made Walking in the winter wonderland Until the other kitties knock him down Oh, when it snows Ain't it thrilling Though your nose gets chillin' We'll frolic and play The Eskimo way Walkin' in winter Back to River City 360, Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we are now joined by Aaron Pollock. He is one of the co-organizers of On the Docks, which is a competition asking Winnipeggers to reimagine the uh, the Alexander Docks space, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. So, just to set everything up, why why the Alexander Docks? Why was this a location that uh, that really stood out to you, and and why create a competition around reimagining them? So, Lorraine, uh, the co-organizer, and myself, we uh, work in the area, and uh, just sitting outside uh, having our lunches, you know, uh, in the adjacent park, we just kind of looked at the site and said, you know, there's tons of potential to it what's happening and why isn't anything happening yet and so uh, rather than just sitting there and having that discussion we decided why don't we kind of create something that engages people to kind of put forward their ideas and um, come up with solutions for this site it's a it's undergoing a huge development waterfront drive you have new buildings like the Mir Hotel Chibo restaurant going in so how do we continue that conversation along the waterfront it's like the idea of realizing its potential in a way because here's this underutilized space right yeah exactly um, so tell us a little bit about the competition of on the docks um, how many submissions did you receive and give us sort of a sense of who were the people who participated in the competition absolutely the intent of the competition was to open it up to as many people as possible possible and so we really went broad in the range of how we would get submissions so currently we have 200 submissions that we received uh, which is fantastic Um, six of them from within Canada 26 of them are actually international submissions and the rest from here in Winnipeg and the way we went about that was just kind of 
approaching schools, talking to different news sources, going on social media, and really trying to plug it, trying to get the community uh, knowledgeable of the site itself, and asking them, how do you foresee the future of our rivers in the city of Winnipeg, especially on this site? So what were some of the things that you were looking for in submissions? And I'm wondering also if you can give us a sense of what some of the common threads were in some of the submissions that you saw. Absolutely. Uh, The surprising thing was for the competition brief, we've kept it very broad and allowed people to do literally anything they want. It could be a space station for all (laughs) they, you know, it it could be anything. So the fact that we kept it so so open, uh, it surprised us that all the submissions, if not most, really dealt with uh, public spaces in Winnipeg. How do we create these fully accessible public spaces that anyone in the city could use? Uh, So that was kind of a common thread throughout most of the submissions. I mean, we did get a couple of outlandish ones. One was a space station. Uh, (laughs) There were a couple of others that, you know, looked at how to use this as a recreational space, if it's pleasure crafts, how are they reusing the docks. Um, But I'd say a lot of them really focused on these different forms of public space, whether it be retail, small retail shops along a boardwalk, connecting communities down the waterfront or across the river to St. Boniface, kind of uh, along that thread. Tell us a little bit about the jury panel, because there are some pretty well-known members of the panel, and and what kind of process did they go through to evaluate the entries? Sure. So the jury consisted of David Pensado uh, of the Exchange District Biz. We had Zafira Vun of Winnipeg Design Quarter, Paul Jordan of the Forks North Portage, uh, Mike Pactican, the city councillor, and Dan Lett from the Winnipeg Free Press. And so with those 200 submissions, uh, again, it was more than we had anticipated. We uh, gave them a bit of homework and gave them all of them in uh, these packages to kind of sift through and really focus more so on the description of the ideas over the drawing. Like we said before, it's not a drawing competition, it's an ideas competition. So really the the emphasis was on kind of diving into those descriptions. Um, and then we met as, uh, as a jury and organizers and had really in-depth conversations about the reasoning behind kind of our selections for some of these uh, some of these winning submissions and uh, really broke it down to um, their benefits and how they kind of uh, help the community as a whole. What are you hoping that, you know, after the after On the Docks is all said and done, what are you hoping that um, it'll contribute to the area and, and to the community in a broader sense as well? I think the whole the whole intent of the competition was to kind of poke and prod, kind of uh, highlight an area that was maybe underused or underdeveloped. And so the hope for this is that we really want uh, people to kind of A, be knowledgeable of the site and B, knowledgeable of its potentials. So with 200 submissions, it's it's kind of hard not to say, look, there's there's a lot of people interested and invested or have ideas for the city, uh, the urban future of our city. So with these submissions, uh, we're intending to put them together in some sort of document, um, uh, not a petition, but almost some sort of uh, some sort of clarifying document that we want to put forward to the city and say, hey, look, we've asked the question. Two hundred people have stepped up and answered. Like, let's look at this a little bit more and add it to the conversation. Aaron Pollock is one of the co-organizers of On the Docks. And uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us again today. 
Thanks, Robert. As an update to the story, first prize was awarded to the concept called Alexander's Garden by Romanian architect Cornoiu Sabin. The park area is surrounded by trees on three sides and would have spaces designed for swimming and outdoor movies in the summer, as well as skating and sledding in the winter. The park also features a Belvedere boat dock and a monument in the center called the Celestial Globe. On the Docks published all of the submissions in a book which is available at McNally Robinson here in the city. Uh, just search for On the Docks in store or on their website. Coming up after the break, we'll take you on a quick road trip to the Firefighters Museum of Winnipeg. But first, here's Donna Fargo with What Will the New Year Bring? right here on River City 360. This past year was good to us The one before just a little rough The one before that was an awful thing What will the new year bring? Will it bring us a little boy To fill our lives with love and joy We've had a share of growing pains What will the new year bring? Used to one and one make two Now one and one make one I hope you will love me Throughout the year to come We've made our mistakes with love We learned that it can't promise us Tomorrow and forever things what will the new year bring? Wish I hadn't read our horoscope Things look stormy for Scorpios Virgos supposed to sprout their wings What will the new year bring? Welcome to the RC360 Road Trip. This week's destination is the Firefighters Museum of Winnipeg. Let's take a look. It's our road trip segment and today it finds us at the Winnipeg Firefighters Museum and I'm here with Ted Karaluk, the past president of the Winnipeg Firefighters Museum. There's so many interesting historical artifacts here from Winnipeg's history as it pertains to uh, some of the major fires that have happened in the city and the history of firefighting here in Winnipeg. Can you give us sort of a brief overview of, of what the museum's all about? We're one of the only museums in Canada, actually to my understanding in North America, that is in a working fire hall and once was a working fire hall. This was a fire hall from 1903 to 1990. Fire halls of the time in that were all built basically for horse-drawn apparatus response. 
which are slower and uh, not as easy to get at. So they were actually quite close together when they were built. The uh, fire halls today, of course, you can respond uh, a lot further, a lot quicker. So they're, they're a lot further. So this became redundant. And Mayor Norrie dedicated this fire hall to the firefighters uh, in 19, uh, 1982 uh, at the time of our centennial. And we're very pleased and proud. And we think we're doing the city proud with it. And we've got a lot of stuff to see here. Well, let's take a walk over <laughs> sure. here uh, to some of the uh, the fire engines. One here has been beautifully, beautifully restored, and the other is is still in remarkably good condition. It's got a little bit of wear on it from its time. Tell us a little bit about these. We have two Canadian-made LaFrancis. One is a 1928. Uh, that is the one that's been totally restored by our guys. The other uh, is a 1930. During the 1950 flood, this was uh, parked on the top of what is now Churchill Drive and pumped from one side of the river water to the riverside to protect the sewage and the overflow systems from building up. And uh, we were told that it pumped for two and a half weeks straight at its prime time during the flood. That was just before the pump was retired. So right to the end, it protected the citizens. The crews, every eight hours, they would come in and throw a quart of oil in and fuel it up with fuel. And it just kept on chugging, pumping to capacity for that length of time. Pretty amazing for a 1930 La France. Absolutely. So if any of our listeners would like to come and visit the museum for themselves, how can they get in contact? We're open by appointment during the week any day. Uh, we're open for visitors on Sundays between about uh, 10 o'clock and about 2 o'clock. We have volunteers here every Sunday. You can book a tour at 942-4817 or uh, through the internet at uh, winnipegfiremuseum.ca. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ted, for the, the wonderful tour of the uh, Firefighters Museum. You're very welcome. Coming up next, we'll have Nolan's conversation with Cecily Hildebrand, the executive director of Candace House, which celebrated its grand opening in November. Cecily's pitch won the grand prize for Candace House at the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch earlier this year, and we'll learn more about her experience at Fast Pitch and about Candace House after our next break. But first, here's Matt Dusk with The Best is Yet to Come, right here on River City 360. of life I picked me a plum You came along and everything started to hum Still it's a real good bet the best is yet to come The best is yet to come Won't that be fine you think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. Won't that be just fine? 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by Cecily Hildebrand. She is the executive director of Candace House and the champion of the Fast Pitch 2018 <laughs> Showcase. Thank, Thank you, for, you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for having me. And congratulations. You are the, the judge's choice for uh, Fast Pitch 2018. What was that whole process like? How did you feel uh, being awarded the, the championship this year? I felt incredibly honored. It was a real privilege to be able to represent Candace House and the the victims and survivors that we work with uh, and their stories to our community. It was phenomenal. So Candace House is an incredible concept. Just lay, lay out what exactly it is for people. So Candace House is the vision of Wilma Dirksen. Uh, Wilma and Cliff Dirksen's daughter Candace was murdered in 1984. Uh, and they it was unsolved for many years, and then they had a, a lengthy battle or a lengthy journey through the the court system. Uh, and during the many years that the Dirksons have worked with victims and their own personal experiences, they really saw a need for something so simple, but a need that's not being met. And that's a safe place for families to go during the court process, during the day, a place to get away when there is no place to do that otherwise at the courts. When I heard your pitch at Fast Pitch, I thought, why doesn't this exist already? You know, like how it seems like, like you said, so simple to have something because it's such a stressful and difficult process to go through a trial when you're dealing with all the things on top of that. And then you're sitting in a cold, sort of brutal courtroom. Mm -hmm. What exactly is Candace House going to give people when, mm. when it's opened? So imagine, you know, your. You're going through this process, the, the court system, uh, the court building itself is it's cold, it's bare, it's not welcoming at all, it's very unsafe. Uh, and so what Candace House is going to do is provide that safe, comforting day refuge. So when you walk in, it's essentially, it's, it's a house. Uh, so you have access to a kitchen where you can make cookies and uh, have a meal with your family and a couch where you can take a nap or watch TV or, uh, you know, read a book, look at pictures, whatever. Take your mind off it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take your mind off of it. And 
be with people without having to interact necessarily when you just you want your own space you want to just uh debrief but you don't really have anywhere else to do that for sure so you were the ten thousand dollar winner uh of fast pitch what was what was the whole process from start to finish like you you obviously did a great job and your pitch really was polished over the weeks but when you started out did you think it was going to be as sort of uh, <laughs> difficult or did you think it was easy did you just roll in there like the champ or uh, what? no <laughs> <laughs> definitely not uh you know what i i I don't, I don't mind public speaking. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, I'm generally, I'm pretty comfortable with. So I'm like, okay, you know what, we'll, we'll figure out the story, work with the coaches, looks like a great, great team to work with, uh, and we'll roll with it. Yeah. Uh, and then as things continue to progress, it's like, oh no, this is, this is more stressful uh, than I thought it would be. And, and I think part of it is there are so many great organizations with great pitches. Uh, and so it's friendly competition. Uh, and so you want to do well, you want to represent your organization. And so uh, definitely uh, it's a different type of a public speaking. Yeah. I'm used to teaching. And right. so it's uh, more interactive. Yeah, maybe. it's more interactive. Back and forth. Exactly. Yeah. Here it's like you're it's more of like a business pitch. And that's yeah. not a realm that I'm used to to working in. So it was definitely uh, it was a stretching experience, but very rewarding. Well, you did great. How did you walk away feeling after the whole process was over? Obviously, you're happy that you won, but I mean more so about how you feel about Winnipeg's uh, philanthropic sector. I am I'm just astounded so often <laughs> by Winnipeg's mm-hmm. philanthropic community. It's, uh, it's such an, an honor to work in this community. Uh, we, you know, we are fundraising right now. We have come so far. We still have a ways to go. Uh, but the number of people who offer their support and not just their support financially, but their support in, you know, in their words and encouragement is is really uh, humbling. For sure. And Candace Hustle, who will it be available to? Just anyone who's going through a court process mm-hmm. or, or give me a little bit more information about who can benefit yeah. from the organization. So Candace House right now, we provide resources and referrals and we do support kind of as requested. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so our healing haven is our comforting day refuge. That's where people can go during the court process. And Mm -hmm. that will be through referral from our partner organizations. So people who are actively, you know, supporting families who are going through the court process and will be predominantly providing services for family survivors of homicide. Uh, And the reason for that is uh, it's it's often a long, a long journey through the court system it's Mm -hmm. often many years with several weeks at a time for the for the trial process well it's a brilliant idea it's a wonderful concept and i'm excited for it to be opening and helping people out here in winnipeg and across the country hopefully someday how can people find more information uh the best place to find more information is on our website candacehouse.ca c-a-n-d-a-c-e uh, and we have a whole bunch of information in terms of our, our campaign, our services, our programs, ways to get in contact with us. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on winning Fast Pitch 2018, you. and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Nolan. Ready for another road trip? We'll visit the Marine Museum of Manitoba in Selkirk after our next song. Here's Mel Torme with Every Day's a Holiday right here on River City 360. Ask anyone. Who's ever been in love? Every day's a holiday, and let it rain or shine. The rain tastes like wine. Every day's a holiday. 
Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to the Marine Museum of Manitoba to speak with Shay Nordle, the museum manager, to learn all about it. Let's go! So Shay, where are we right now? Just describe for our listeners, we're sitting in the galley, some sort of kitchen dining area on, on the ship, and just tell us about uh, tell us about where, we're, where we are. All right, yeah, we're sitting where all the passengers would eat on the Kenora, which is in the dining room, and the galley is just to the back of us, where they prepped all the food. Kenora was built in 1897, oldest one we have here, and tons of history. How many ships are here, and what's sort of the just the general, what you can see when you come to the Marine Museum? We have six ships here, all representing different types of boats that were on the lake, from passenger vessels to fish freighters. Uh, when you come here, you actually can go through all six of them. You don't just look at them from the outside. You come in, you can check out every little nook and cranny, and we're all hands-on. So you can come in and steer the ship's wheel and ring the bells and just pretend you were out on the lake. What's the coolest part for you of all six ships? What, what, do you, what are you most proud of? What's the crown jewel? The crown jewel here, I would say, is the SS Kenora. It was the first ship brought up to be the museum in 1974. We've added the other five since then, but it has the most history. And uh, being out on the lake as long as it was, the visitors that come, there are so many that remember stories from the Kenora or just seeing it on the lake that it's in everybody's mind. One long blast, too short, and another long blast 
means that the boat was approaching a landing. It was also called a begging whistle because it alerted onshore workers that they were needed to unload. So where can people find out more information about the museum and how can they come on down and see you? When, what are your hours and all that? We're open May long weekend through September long weekends, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, weekends 10 to 6, seven days a week for that whole time. But to find out more information about that, uh, other events like our pancake breakfast, you can go to marinemuseum.ca and we also have a Facebook page, Marine Museum of Manitoba. Well, thank you, Shay, for uh, the tour and showing us around and, and just preserving this very important part of uh, Manitoba's history. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined via telephone by Guy Matt, and he is a filmmaker, he is a screenwriter, and now he is a uh, designer of one of the warming huts at the Forks on the river. So how did you get involved with this? This is kind of a bit of a departure for you. Uh, obviously, you're a, a very uh, well-known filmmaker from or from here in Winnipeg. Um, tell me how you got involved with the uh, the warming huts at the Forks. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I've been working the last three years as a film instructor at Harvard University and just got a really happy email in my inbox one day. Usually emails are requests for favors and horrible things, but this one was a nice invitation from Peter Hargraves, you know, one of the organizers of this amazing event, an architect at Sputnik, and I guess CC'd was Paul Jordan, the CEO of the Forks just inviting me to design. I was instantly intimidated. I'm not a designer. And I'd noticed that previous designers included Frank Geary and a million other intimidating people who really knew what they were doing. So I wrote back with a lot of gratitude and expressing how flattered I was, but expressing a lot of reservations. But um, they were very persuasive, and together we managed to massage some sort of design out of me. Hmm. And uh, I've ended up collaborating with... Peter Hargraves, and I'll be collaborating with this amazing Luca Roncaroni, <laughs> a Norwegian ice sculptor, and um, cool. we're making something together, and it's going to be underneath that great bridge that extends from Main Winnipeg to St. Boniface on Main Street. Oh, very and, uh, cool. Yeah, so, I'm really excited about it. So how, what's the difference between approaching a film or a, or a screenplay and approaching a warming hut in, in your design and your inspiration? Yeah, I guess with the average narrative filmmaker, the difference between designing a warming hut and, and a script might be enormous, but my movies have always used my feelings right. and, and vaguely understood feelings at that as a starting point for a project anyway, and I've come to learn from hanging out with the architects that were on the jury and and the ones I've met since agreeing to do this, that that's often a starting point for them too, and that feelings matter and impressions that aren't always better for being articulated, you know. So in my case, it was just a matter of rearranging some furniture in my head, mildewy furniture, I might add, things that have been sitting in place for a long time and then coming up with the help of my collaborators with um, a way of doing something that means something and then if it looks pretty and means something secretly means something then I guess it's satisfied me nice so what is your aim like what is your hope to when someone stops on the river trail and sees your 
warming hut what is what is your aim to make them feel or think or do or experience yeah that changes every day because um for the last month i've been living in the neighborhood of the forks mm. and taking our dog lil for strolls almost every day on the river and just watching these little structures go up and i'm really smitten for the first time all over again with Winnipeg in the winter and how beautiful it is. I just love winter. I find myself screaming to the frosty stars every night, almost inwardly. And um, it's it's so pretty here. So I I think I just want this thing, this structure to delight the eye and maybe inflame curiosity in the passers-by. There's just so many things to look at when you're in the vicinity of the forks, and then now that it extends out on the river paths into the far reaches of the city that no one really knows until recent years from the river. And um, I don't know, everything just looks different there. And so I just want to be part of that different way of looking at the city. Is this something that you want to continue pursuing, designing, uh, I mean, structures as opposed to uh, films? Um, I think... Maybe it's possible. I have no training in it. I grew up in a very exotic and strange and eccentric house uh, that was designed by my mother, who also also had no training, and, and she just sort of jotted things down on notepads all the time. It was basically a blueprint which uh, comprised of shopping lists, uh, things to do, chores the children should do, and... Um, and then maybe some organizational ideas for a closet. But some uh, contractor built it, so a layperson can design a home. It was a great home, so maybe. But uh, it's um, I don't know how much um, it pays to be an amateur right. architect with no training. <laughs> Might have a little trouble. I, I couldn't even you know get an interning position at an architecture firm. But sure. luckily, I've uh, taken the shortcut as usual. I've been <laughs> lucky in life. I've taken a shortcut straight to the top of this little arrangement and been able to put my name on a design. Uh, thank you very much for talking to us, Guy Madden. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks we, so much, Nolan. We appreciate your time and uh, congratulations on this prestigious uh, honor, and I can't wait to see it. Okay, beautiful. Thanks. One minute to midnight one minute to go One minute to say goodbye Before we say hello Let's start the new year right Twelve o'clock tonight When they dim the light Let's begin Kissing the old year out Kissing the new year in Let's watch the old year die With a fond goodbye And our hopes as high as a kite how can our love go wrong if we start the new year right? 
Watch the old year die With a fond goodbye And our hopes as high as a kite How can our love go wrong If we start the new And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a very special thank you to all of our guests who spoke with us throughout the past year. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to the podcast. You can do so at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. If you want to request a song, suggest a topic for a future show, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at WPGFDN on Twitter and searching the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Sunny Promolo. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Have a great day, have a great weekend, and have a great new year.